two things, listen and act. Listen to the people on your team. They're going to tell you what they need. They're going to tell you what the business needs and then act on it. Don't just sit on it, don't ignore it. Act on what they say, take action. Then you are going to win them over and they're going to work even harder. But thank you so much, Sean, for, for sitting with us here as we're going to make sure everybody gets, you know, fully staffed. Now, Sean, for those of you who weren't with us at that, that opening panel, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your role within the organization. Well, I'm actually excited to be here and very excited about this topic. So while I've spent the majority of my career in technology, over the past seven years, I've had the opportunity to also lead human resources and have developed a passion around helping build teams and build leaders and really build high-performing teams. So I'm really looking forward to this. So I want to dive right on in, because how do you feel the landscape of IT talent acquisition has evolved in recent years, and what strategies have you found most effective in attracting top talent? One of the things that I've learned in my career and observed, I'll say, is it used to be very focused on hard skills, technical skills, do they know how to be the best developer? Do they know how to design data centers and WAN architecture and things like that? And over the past decade, maybe it's just due to the nature of my role evolving, I'm starting to be able to better read people and understand people and understand that soft skills are kind of like superpowers these day and age. And so whenever you start leading teams and building teams and attracting and retaining talent, understanding what motivates people what drives them that is going to be key and and one thing that I've, I've come to recognize over the years is i can kind of almost boil it down to five different things it's identity opportunity purpose inclusion and reward they have an identity if people know who they are they have the opportunity to speak up and share their thoughts and ideas they're going to value that opportunity do they have opportunities to progress in their career? Yes, some people are gonna come in, punch the clock, and go home. But ideally, if you wanna build a high-performing team, you want people that are hungry for that opportunity to grow. And then purpose, allowing people to follow their passion and purpose. If you have the best solutions architect, don't put him on a team with auditors. Probably not gonna work all that well. <laughs> Uh, let's see, inclusion, allow them to be part of the conversation. That is huge. And then reward, that's gonna be the, fi the financial piece of it for a lot of people, whether that's salary or bonus or time off, or if you have somebody on the team that just loves playing video games, getting the latest Spider-Man game that comes out, right? Understanding your people, understanding what's important to them. And I think to come back, tie it all back together, that's one of the things that I've seen whenever it comes to talent is People are valuing those types of things more and more, as opposed to just coming in, sitting down, and working in their databases or working on the architecture. I love it. It's all great. How do we get the time? As a busy executive, deadlines looming right and left, how do I get the time to make those connections? You make it. As a leader, that's our role. And you know, I think that there's a little bit of a challenge when you are the 
most proficient individual contributor on a team, you inevitably end up in a leadership role. The challenge is you might not have the necessary skills to be successful as a leader, to understand people, understand what motivates them. But once you transition into that leadership role, it is no longer about your productivity, about your output. You become a force multiplier and your role is to understand the people and understand how to extract the most of them. And so when you say busy executive, the first thing that comes to mind for me is really, are they busy doing the wrong things? Or are they learning to focus on the things that they need to be focused on, which is leading their team? Yeah, that's a, it's a great point. It's a great point. So with the rapid advancement of, of, of technology, how do you ensure your IT teams are staying up to date with skills and knowledge, other than coming to fantastic forums like this? You know, what role does continuous learning play in talent retention? Continuous education is something that has been paramount to me over the years. And not all people want to be leaders. Some people just want to go get the latest certifications in their functional domain that they operate in. And so whenever it comes time for, for budgeting, something that I stand firm on every single year, whether it's a boom year or a bust year in oil and gas, I always, always, always make sure that there is budget allocation for continuing education for every member of the team. I only have a few criteria. One, whatever they go get certified on has to be applicable to some technology that we have in place today. Two, they have to coordinate their time off with their manager, supervisor, and team to make sure that there is coverage. If those two criteria are met, we pay for their continuing education. And even when we have to cut budgets and there's a global pandemic, I cut everywhere else, but I always leave that in. Now, one thing that I've also found interesting is that only about 30 to 40% of the team actually utilizes that, which is fine. I'm okay with that, but it's an item of note. And also I do kind of pay attention to the people that continue to focus on building themselves and identify what future opportunities might be best suited for them. Pay for continuous education. Was that a hard sell uh, oh. of the food chain? Uh, well, honestly, I, it wasn't really a sell. It was just something I left in the budget. I just never took it out. Yeah, you just don't bring attention to it. I just get taken yeah, Just don't worry about it. We've got a four million dollar budget. I'm asking for twenty thousand in training. Just, just ignore that. Yeah. So we're going to dive into uh, DE and I in our final panel that we're going to combine with our, our friends over in data. But talk to me about diversity and inclusion and how they're important aspects of modern workplaces. Talk to me a little bit about how organizations promote diversity in IT and what benefits that you've seen in terms of talent acquisition and retention. What does diversity mean to you? What's that? What does diversity mean to you? Uh, well, we learned from Anchorman, it's not an old wooden ship, um, <laughs> if that movie taught us anything. It, it, it's really building upon people of differing, uh, could be departments, could be skill sets, could be um, gender, race, it, it could be a lot of different things, um, but having different thought I think is important. Yes, I would agree with that completely. And I think one not of the old wooden chip part, not the old wooden. Okay. Part, no, but I do think that some additional clarity around the EI in that space is something that will come with time because it is relatively new ish. So we're going to see more and more of that. But whenever I think about the value and advantages of diversity within your organization, 
I'm really going to focus in for the purposes of this question or answering this question on considering behavioral assessment. Who's familiar with behavioral assessments like DISC, Berkman, and things like that? Okay. So one of the things that I found a tremendous amount of value in is doing DISC assessments or some sort of assessments, understanding where everybody on your team is. In doing that, I went through that exercise probably six or seven years ago when I discovered every single person on the team was a C. Every single person, which means you are highly conscientious, analytical, data-driven, also shy, introverted, and quiet. That can be challenging whenever you're trying to build a brand and reputation for delivering results and being able to communicate the value that you bring to an organization. And so, yes, the hard skills are a requirement. Yes, you know, need to know how to configure servers. You need to know how to work in Azure. These things are a requirement, but whenever you start thinking about diversification of the people on your team, let's start thinking about be different behavioral traits that could be advantageous. So maybe you bring in an I who's bubbly, outgoing, like a cruise director. They still understand the technology, but they can communicate effectively to those in the broader organization. So I think there's a tremendous amount of value in diversifying the behaviors and the thoughts of the people on your team. That's just the first example that came to mind for me. The, the IT industry is known for high turnover rates and it's never been higher than it is right now. What employee engagement and retention strategies have proven successful in your experience as a tech leader? I think salaries are driving a lot of that, especially when the pandemic hit and organizations started just going on. We saw tremendous wage inflation that was very difficult to combat. But if you were paying attention nine months to a year in, you also saw a lot of people reverting back to the companies that they left because that big salary wasn't all it was cracked up to be. If you get paid a ton of money, but you're absolutely miserable at your job, it's not gonna last for a very long time. And I think it goes back to those first five things that I was talking about. And as leaders understanding, for some people, the reward piece, the financial or the salary is all they care about. And that's fine, there's gonna be those people in your team. For others, maybe they want time off. Maybe others just want the opportunity to prove themselves because they are hungry and they want to grow and they want to progress in their career. So to answer your question, I think it really comes down to just understanding the people on your team and what motivates them and what drives them and creating an environment that will allow them to succeed. Let's talk about executives because the burnout rate for executives is extremely high, uh, six out of 10, CIOs are said they're looking for another job, 70% say they're extremely burned out. Now we're talking about retaining and getting top talent, but we gotta retain our top people too. How do we avoid the burnout that many of us probably in this room feel? Ooh, that is a good question. The first thing that comes to mind for me is probably there's a tremendous amount of pressure via budgetary constraints, requests and asks from the board and the audit committee coupled with talent retention issues. And from my perspective, I've been very fortunate that we've been able to build a technology team and, and some of the other functional teams that I'm fortunate to lead where everybody's in a good place. And a lot of the reason that these teams are successful is because we've been very intentional about building leaders within each of these functional domains. 
So if you're a CIO and you have a vice president of applications, a vice president of infrastructure, making sure that they are strong leaders and that their teams are performing is going to make your life easier. Because if you don't have to worry about your infrastructure issues, or if you don't have to worry about cyber incidents, which is, I realize the irony of saying that, but if you don't have to worry about these things as a CIO, it allows you to shift your focus into having conversations with operations and figuring out how do you add value to the business. That's gonna be very fulfilling. However, if you have a poor performing team because maybe you don't have the right people in your team, you're gonna be stressed out. You're gonna be pushed to the max. And because if you are in a CIO position, you are likely a high performer and you are dedicated to meeting all of your deadlines and coming in under budget, you're gonna push yourself to the absolute limit and it doesn't have to be about you. You are a force multiplier. You need to get your teams to perform at a higher level. And when you do that, the stressors on you start to decline. And our teams respond to us, right? If they see that we're stressed out, they're stressed out, and it just trickles down, which is a detriment to the entire organization. Talk to me, in a current job market, what unique selling points do you feel uh, employer branding strategies does your organization use to stand out, right? You gotta stand out, attract top talent. You know, before you answer, I'm gonna show of hands, how many of your organizations, when you're in the office, provide lunches? Provide breakfast? Like, where do you draw the line sometimes too? It's like bring your chihuahua to work day. All of these things to get people to come. And how do you stand out and attract top talent? I think this comes down to building a brand. And when most people or businesses talk about brand, they're thinking public facing, branding, marketing, things like that. Yes, you have a public facing brand, but you also have a brand internally, and that is the culture of your organization. And if the people in your organization are excited to come to work, they're going to promote and sell positions and try to encourage friends and connections to come work for you. So when it comes to attracting that talent, there's all sorts of things that you can do from a marketing and advertising on Indeed and LinkedIn and, and all of that stuff. But people are intelligent. They're gonna go look at Glassdoor. They're gonna see what are the reviews for the people that already work there. So putting your effort on building a strong culture that people want to come to work at is going to be the most important aspect of it. And then all of your employees for the entire organization end up doing the work for you in terms of spreading the word, making those connections, and pulling people in. So it's not the pool table, the bar, the foosball, the limited PTO, um, all those flashy things. Would a foosball table encourage all of you guys to come to work? It would. It depends on how, how. <laughs> Ping pong table, ping pong, ping pong. Got it, got it. Okay, that's fair. Or a wonderful bourbon selection. You know, those types of things. Uh, talk to me, because we, we had uh, earlier in the day people raised their hands, how many are hybrid, how many are remote? It's about half in the room. The remote work and flexible schedules become definitely prevalent. You know, how has your IT department adapted to these trends? And, and talk to me about the impact it's had on, on talent um, acquisition and retention. That has been a selling point for us. The fact that we have a hybrid schedule, it's in the office two days a week, 
And one of the things that I've started doing over the years is really just gauging performance based on outcomes. And by that, I mean, if yes, Tuesdays and Thursdays are in the office days, but if you have all of your work done and you're just crushing it, you don't have to spend eight to five in the office. If you wanna miss traffic and come in nine to three, but all of your duties are done and you're there for all of these sessions that are around communication and collaboration and whiteboarding, then that's fantastic. And I think ideally we all should lead off of results or outcomes as opposed to any sort of micromanaging. That is a huge differentiator, I wouldn't say differentiator, but that is hugely beneficial in terms of attracting talent. Because when the pandemic hit, I think the vast majority of organizations sent all of their employees home. And then there was also this idea of, wow, we could save a tremendous amount of money on corporate real estate if we just let everybody work from home. And that worked for a little while, but after say 18 months or so, and as natural attrition started to occur and you started to rehydrate the organization with new employees, what people started to recognize is it's very difficult to assimilate new people into a culture if they are entirely remote. It takes a different leadership skill set to be able to assimilate those people into your culture that not everybody was equipped to do. And so the easy answer, hybrid. Bring people in a couple of days a week and lets them have those water cooler conversations. Because you think about culture, it's built whenever you're in the boardroom waiting for a meeting, hey, how was your kid's soccer game last weekend, right? Or you're in the lunchroom having lunch together talking about the latest football game or, or whatever. That's when trust is built. The hybrid model can work, but it also can fail. And I've seen that as well when it's, you need to be in the office two days a week, you choose which two days. While you're coming in, you're gonna be on Zoom the whole time. Um, so what's the point, right, uh, of that? What is that happy balance that you've seen? I've actually seen a number of organizations do this where it's like, you have to be in the office two days a week, you pick your days, that's fine. I think we need some semblance of structure and what works well for us is Tuesdays and Thursdays, you're in the office. Now the office is open every day of the week. If you want to come in on those other days, you're more than welcome to. You just want to get away from the kids, whatever your reason is. But know that Tuesdays and Thursdays, those are our in-office days. So there's some expectation of everybody being there so that you can all communicate and collaborate. And you can collaborate across functional domains. So if HR is having some sort of a payroll issue and they need to get some information from accounting, they can count on someone in accounting being there on Tuesday and Thursday to be able to work through those. Now they might not show up until like 11 and leave at four or whatever their schedule is, but you know on those days they're going to be there. So some semblance of structure is required in my opinion whenever you do a hybrid schedule to achieve successful outcomes. As technology continues to evolve, skill sets required for, for IT professionals are changing. So how do you balance hiring for current needs and preparing for the future skill requirements in the IT workforce? We talked a little bit about it um, earlier because of things AI is doing for a lot of organizations, but talk to me, how do you balance that hiring needs with future skill needs? Whenever I'm hiring people, yes, I would glance at their resume, but only as an indication of what they're capable of. Whenever I sit down in front of somebody, my focus is figuring out, are they driven? Are they passionate? Are they excited about what they do? Because skills can be taught. 
instilling drive and passion is not something that's easy to do if able to do at all, quite frankly. So I rarely hire for skills. Yes, there has to be some sort of foundational baseline, but if they meet that baseline, I'm hiring for their passion, determination, drive, and grit, because I know they're probably intrinsically driven and they will probably learn those skills on their own or take advantage of other learning opportunities that we provide to them. So we, we talked earlier in a couple different sessions about culture. How do we change culture? to be IT and security focused because that also is gonna help attract talent. Cultural change is hard. There's really no way around it, but I think it has to come from a place of trust. Once you have trust for delivering results, I think it makes it easier for you to start focusing on education of cybersecurity of the user community. I don't think I worded that correctly. Educating the user community on cybersecurity and the importance of cybersecurity. So one of the things that we actually ended up doing is we use uh, Mimecast for our user education training around cybersecurity training. And it's well received because the videos are, call it two minutes in length, and they're usually pretty comical, but it covers the foundational information they need to be able to look out for phishing attacks and smishing attacks and things like that. So figuring out some sort of a tool that's not overly painful and providing that to them in a way that's not going to slow them down. We talked about removing friction earlier today. User education, we all know that you can secure the environment every way you can possibly imagine, but the users are going to be the weakness. And so trying to encourage that user education by providing tools that are easy to use and fun, we'll say fun as far as education is concerned, but then also tying it to some sort of incentive. We have each business unit where we actually report out and are completely transparent. Okay, well, Wireline, you guys are 90% complete on your cyber awareness training. Great, cool. Whenever they get to 100%, they get put into a drawing and we give them an iPad once a quarter for whoever wins the drawing. So there's other incentives that we have to try to make it fun and encourage that behavior but it is well received whenever we are able to show on a timeline of a year or two years how much more training is occurring within the population that resonates with the audit committee the board likes to see oh wow there is increased adoption we are raising user awareness of these things that are present a tremendous amount of risk to the organization we've okay we've hired people Fantastic. We acquired them. We're retaining them. How are we elevating them in our organization? Aren't we falling short as leaders in mentoring? And because the, years ago, there used to be great mentoring programs within an organization that I think um, the focus on that went away. You know, and talk to me a little bit about how we can do better to mentor the great talent that we went through all these links to bring in and, and keep. I'm gonna lean more into the leadership space of this because technical skills, obviously we can teach those, we can provide people with you know, credits or certification training and things like that. But whenever you think about building teams and building culture and building and developing that talent, I do think this is an area where more organizations should focus on building their leaders. Building leadership skills around effective communication, delegation and time management 
Those are soft skills that a lot of business leaders just think, oh, we don't need to worry about those. Just we pay you, just get the job done. Well, you can be so much more efficient if you know how to effectively delegate to the people on your team. And sometimes this is, there's a hesitation to delegate, whether it's ego or wanting to do it your way versus letting somebody else do it. I think the answer to the question is taking a hard look at the leadership in the organization at all levels, manager, senior manager, director, VP and above, and truly assessing where do they stand as a leader and being willing to invest. Because you see a lot of leadership development and organizational development firms out there, most of them are very small. And I would attribute that to the fact that most businesses think it's a nice to have, not a need to have. Now there are some big, very large leadership development organizations. It's just, it's a tough market to break into from what I've observed over the years, just because again, a lot of organizations don't want to spend the money on it. They have this mindset of you're in a leadership role, lead, go get it done. So investing heavily in building those skills, I think is, is important. And you know, we've got about a minute left, you know, give us your, your final thoughts on um, acquiring, retaining top talent, some, some last minute um, strategy that you can give us. Two things, listen and act. Listen to the people on your team. They're going to tell you what they need. They're going to tell you what the business needs and then act on it. Don't just sit on it, don't ignore it. Act on what they say, take action. Then you are going to win them over and they're going to work even harder. Wonderful. Sean, thank you so much for, for sharing with us. I appreciate it.